my older sister, the eldest one, she, um, I, I gather, had this golden period of her life um, where she was showered with attention and gifts, um, where she had mum and dad at her, at her beck and call, and then I was born. <laughs> the usurper, this sort of younger, cuter, needier <laughs> rival came along and stole her thunder. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers that experience yourself. I was chatting to Suze, who works here, um, and she said that when, when, when she was born, her eldest brother went to her mum and dad and pleaded to take her back to the hospital. Um, if you're an eldest sibling, you might sympathise with that. And you might sympathise with a Bible character that we're going to look at um, today called Esau. We read about him in Genesis. If you've got a Bible, you might want to flick to there. And he experienced that, that golden period um, for about two seconds. Um, in Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 24, it says, when the time came for her, that's Rebecca, their mum, to give birth, there were twin boys in the womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Poor old um, Esau. Esau was the kind of baby, evidently, when he was getting dedicated and presented to the church, everyone would have been like, whoa, because he was like red and hairy, um, lovely. And then Jacob came out immediately afterwards, and you can just imagine the family. Look at this character. He's grasping hold of his brother's heel. What a funny little guy. Let's call him, let's call him the grasper. That's what Jacob means. Um, the last few weeks, I've been reading the story of these two. Um, and through the book of Genesis, in fact. And um, if you don't know anything about the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And it's actually amazing. It's really struck me afresh how, how this, this book um, is utterly ancient. Um, it's you know, obviously written in a, in a different language, in a different time originally. And it's written in a sort of a literary style that we wouldn't tend to read nowadays. And we have to remember all those things. But, but it's amazing how much meaning there is in the book of Genesis. It tells us so much about the origins of humanity and the, the relationship between humanity and God. It tells us so much about God's plan um, to, to save us and restore us. Every now and again, you get a little glimpse of Jesus in there, a foreshadow of him. And we also see so many things about the fundamental struggles of the human heart, particularly, I think, in the story of Jacob. And so we're gonna look at that today. Um, in the book of Hosea, which was written many you know, centuries later, Jacob's life was summed up like this. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, and as a man, he struggled with God. Jacob was a guy who just made so many mistakes in his life that led on to struggles in his relationship with God. And what I hope is that as we look at some of those today, it will help us to perhaps avoid some of those struggles ourselves. So as I said, this name Jacob, it, mean, it meant to grasp. But the word also meant in that language in Hebrew, it also meant to trick or deceive. And that kind of became sort of representative of his personality in many ways. Jacob was a bit of a, a wheeler dealer. It's not a kind comparison, but he reminds me a little bit of the character Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses, always sort of scheming and tricking. And his first brother of, of one of his tricks was, sorry, his first victim was his brother, Esau. Um, in that culture and in that time, 
the firstborn son, which was Esau, by a couple of seconds, would inherit a status over and above subsequent siblings in the family. However, Jacob, as he grew up, became his mum's favorite, and his mum started to wonder if there was a way whether perhaps Jacob could inherit that status and that inheritance instead. And so she hatched a plan for Jacob to cheat his brother Esau out of this blessing. And Jacob went for it. Um, it was all a bit, um, I'm not gonna read how it happened, it was all a bit of a pantomime, and it involved basically Jacob dressing up as his hairy brother Esau and convincing his elderly, blind father that that's who he was so that he could have this important blessing. And um, later on, the older brother Esau comes home and he chats to his father and they realize what's just happened, that they've been tricked, and um, Esau goes crazy. Um, chapter 27, verse 36, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver? Um, and, it, and he carries on ranting, and then it's really sad. He, he asks his dad, have you reserved any blessing for me? It's kind of awkward. Isaac answered Esau, um, well, I've made him lord over you, and I've made all his relatives his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? In other words, he's the head of the family, he's got all the stuff, sorry. It's all very awkward. So, what happens? Well, Esau is so enraged that he decides to kill Jacob. And the mum, Rebecca, she finds out about that and she warns Jacob and she says, look, you just need to run, you just need to get out of here, flee. Go and stay with your uncle for a while while he calms down. And so that's what happened. Jacob finds himself running away on his own with nothing to his name, he's fearful, he's exhausted. He ends up sleeping rough on the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, exiled from the family that he was supposed to be head of, miles away from the wealth that he tried to reach out and grasp. And for years, this little episode was kind of like a summary of Jacob's life. It was the story of his life. Whenever he saw something that he wanted, he would try and reach out and grasp for it. If there was ever a delay or a seed of doubt in his mind that God was gonna bless him, rather than wait, rather than trust God, Jacob was the kind of person who was always scheming about how to get hold of it himself. So like another example, many years or a few years later, um, God promised him, promised Jacob that he would be the father of a nation. Um, but after a little while, he um, and his wife were struggling to conceive um, a son and he failed to trust in that promise from God. Instead, he tried to take matters into his own hands. He seized it by, by um, sleeping with one of his wife's servants to try and enlarge the family that way. He saw this promise that God had made of a huge family and he tried to grasp it. And he ended up taking two wives and two mistresses in, a, in an effort to try and expand his family. Um, and he ended up getting trapped in this extremely unhealthy um, family unit, all the inevitable infighting between you know, these women in his life. And this was something of a, a repeated pattern for Jacob. He saw something, he grasped at it, and then he got trapped in it by the consequences of it. It reminds me of something that I heard about once. I don't know whether you're familiar with the phrase, a monkey trap. Um, I, I, I think it il illustrates this situation really beautifully. We're gonna show you a clip quick clip of how it works, just to warn you before we do, um, you'll see an animal in a bit of distress here, so sorry about that in advance. 
First, he laboriously drills a hole in a giant anteat when he is sure a baboon is watching him because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off, knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool. But he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. If he had the sense to drop the seat, he could free his hand. Yeah, it's kind of funny, kind of sad, isn't it? I'll show that clip because I think that's a picture of, of where this grasping re landed Jacob in life. He ended up trapped so often by the very thing he was grasping for. But what's interesting, I think, is that this story isn't just about Jacob. It's actually bigger than him. Um, if you read the Bible, Jacob um, became the father of the nation of Israel. Israel was one of Jacob's other names, in fact. That's how they got the name, through his 12 sons. And what happened was this, this nation inherited this same trait. The nation of Israel became the nation that, that turned to the golden calves, calf because they got bored waiting for Moses to talk to God. They became the nation that demanded a king even though God had promised to rule after them. They were an impatient, graspy people, if you read the Old Testament. And they often wound up trapped by the consequences of their actions. But I'd go a little bit further and say that actually this trait, this personality trait, is in a way representative of the people of God in general. Or you could even say humanity, because as I read the accounts of his story, if I'm honest, I see a little bit of this grasping in me, in my personality. Um, and it's kind of something that's always been there. I remember in 1990, Nintendo released the Game Boy, okay, which was the best toy ever. Did anybody have a Game Boy here? Game Boys were awesome. And um, at the time, if you'd have taken the Argos catalog in our house, just let it flop open, you'd have ended up on this page here. Um, that's, you know, I was, I was obsessed with the, with the, uh, with the Game Boy, but you, you probably can't read it but it was £69.50 for a Game Boy, including Tetris, which I um, can't believe I'm at that age where I'm gonna say that, but that was a lot of money in those days. And, <laughs> and uh, so I asked my dad, and my dad was like, no, they're just not worth that much money. These kind of things, it will come down in price, so just wait, um, and then you can have a Game Boy. But that wasn't good enough for me. Um, I formed a plan. And what I did was, at the time, my mum used to give me, um, I think it was a pound, to buy my school dinner at school. So what I started doing was just like skipping lunch every day, or maybe I would have a packet of Space Invaders, which were 10p, um, for the corner shop, and save the rest. And within a few months, I'd saved up 70 quid in change, and I announced that I'd like to go to Argos to buy myself my Game Boy, to which my dad replied, no way. I said they were too expensive, and I don't care whether it's my money or money that you have embezzled from me, <laughs> you, you're just gonna have to wait. And I think at the time there was also a decision that I was gonna have packed lunches from then on as well. <laughs> but for me, I think the thing that most often leads me into these kind of monkey traps is that same impatience. 
So, you know, nowadays, one silly thing that I do often is, is ruin my appetite. I don't know, does anybody else do that? Where, you know, dinner is a couple of hours away, but I'm starving, and I just want to take something off the edge of my hunger, and I think to myself, I know what I'll do. I'll just open the Pringles and have, and have a couple of those. And, of course, a few moments later, it's the bottom of the jar, and I can't handle my dinner anymore. I can think more seriously of, of a few times in my life where I've bought something on a loan, and, uh, and the repayments have lasted a lot longer than the novelty of the thing that I wanted so badly. In generally, I think in life, I'm most likely to grasp things like that when I'm, when I'm lacking patience, when I'm waiting for God's plan in my life to unfold. I often have these kind of prayers where I'm praying, God, would you, would you reveal your plan for my life so that I can get on and make sure that it happens myself? And it's kind of counterintuitive to do that. I don't think it's that there's anything wrong with with being proactive and taking initiative. But what I'm kind of getting at is that the reality of having a faith in Jesus is trusting him in the walk of life when we don't necessarily know what's around the corner. You could say that in many ways, part, a big part of our existence on this planet is, is waiting of the hope, the heavenly hope of the future for us. That's a future promise that we get from the Bible, but it's not something that we can take out and grasp even though we might want to. As I was writing this um, talk, I was reflecting over the last 10, sort of 15 years of my life, and it really strikes me that my life has been a succession of these like mini little steps where God has just revealed the next chapter of what's gonna happen one step at a time. And um, there's been no sort of big picture. It's not as though I've had this sort of prophetic sense of where it's all going. But day by day, week by week, God has, has, has revealed what his plan for my life is to me. And, and as I look back over these 10, 15 years, it's been great, it's worked out perfect, but that doesn't mean that in my flesh, I still don't struggle to want clarity about what lies ahead for me. And there are things that I wanna reach out and secure, whether it's like financial security, or my dreams and goals, or a happy future for my kids. I wanna make sure those things happen. And that is, in part, I think, a positive um, motive. I have a positive motive for that. But I think if we're not careful, if we get too focused on those things, they can become our main focus in life. And they can act a little bit like one of those monkey traps. Once we get fixated on something, tunnel vision about a goal, God can get pushed to the sidelines. We can end up seeing it, grasping it, and getting trapped in it if we're not careful. And I think that's where it starts to go wrong. That's when our character starts to become a little bit undone. That's when we start to become blind to the needs of other people in our life. And we become willing to you know, try and manipulate circumstances or even people to make sure we get the thing we want. In the New Testament, in the book of James, it, it asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And things, I think these, these monkey traps they're all around us in life. A few examples, I think stuff and consumerism is a great one. You know, many of us will, will, will be familiar with that feeling where we feel trapped by a loan repayment that we wished we hadn't taken out in the first place. But um, I think in a more general sense too, we long for provision and prosperity in life, most of us, don't we? And, and sometimes we can end up reaching out and trying to grasp it. We end up, you know, climbing the career ladder, working really, really hard to make sure that we earn enough money 
to do the things we want to do in life, but then we find that we're so busy working that we haven't got enough time to do the things that we wanted to do, and we've become trapped in it. Or like another example, we long for, for sexual intimacy and gratification, but when, when we don't get it the way we want it, we can try and reach out and grasp for it instead through our fantasies or through pornography or through a relationship with the wrong person or at the wrong time. And it's only once we've reached in and grasped for it that we realize, oh, I've become trapped by this thing. I thought I was breaking free, but I've actually got trapped in it. Or I think another example, I think vanity is, is one of these monkey traps. We all want to look good. Um, uh, what's driving that? What's motivating us? I think, I think it's partly we want to look good because you know, we're made in God's image and we want to reflect that. We want to take care of our bodies. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us, a lot of the time we want to look good because we want people to look at us and feel attracted to us. We wish that we look younger, better, fitter, sexier. And so what do we do? We, we, we try and reach out and seize that through sort of, you know, lotions and potions and dyes and surgeries and gyms and all that sort of stuff. And, and obviously, you know, if you do, I'm not, I'm not, what I'm not trying to do is make anybody feel guilty about those things. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but they do have the potential to trap us. You know, it can get to the point where we realize we can't leave the house and let people see the non-enhanced version of who we are. We can't go out for a night out without hitting the gym a few hours before to make sure we look good in our tight t-shirt. We become trapped by the thing that we're longing for. I don't know, those are just some examples, but I want to ask, what are the traps for you? It might be those things, but there are many others. Um, perhaps it's position in life, or, or power, wanting people to respect us. What is it that leaves you feeling a little bit trapped sometimes, like Jacob did? So what became of Jacob? Was he stuck forever? Um, we'll, we'll pick his story up, and um, here he is then. He's, um, he's running from his brother, if you remember. He's isolated, he's fearful, he's got nothing except for the staff in his hand. But that was the point where God intervened. In chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. You know it's bad when you've got a stone for a pillow. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust on the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the, to the north, to the south and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land and I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised to you. Wow, what a moment. So what was this vision all about? Well, the first thing that I noticed was, was, was the way that God reminds Jacob who he is. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Think, 
I think up until that point, Jacob genuinely thought that he tricked everybody in this scenario. I think he, he thought he tricked his dad, he tricked his brother, he'd even tricked God out of this blessing. And I think God reminded him who he was to remind Jacob, you, you haven't tricked me. You know, I think sometimes when we come to God in our prayers, um, we, we think that we can kind of like manipulate him or handle him in some way. Um, you know, like, uh, you know we, we come to him and we say, Lord, if you, if you do this thing for me, I promise I'll do that thing for you, as if that promise is gonna make him do it. A little while ago, our shower broke, and, um, and we hadn't budgeted to replace it. And I was like, Lord, it'd be great if that shower could be fixed, and oh man, if it did, it'd make a great sermon story, wouldn't it, God? Um, you know, good, good PR for you, I scratch your back, you scratch, you scratch mine. And um, needless to say, cold showers for a month. Uh, no, no miraculous shower cure, because we can't manipulate God, we can't make him do things. The second thing I noticed about, about that vision was the way, though, that God did, in fact, choose to bless Jacob despite his trickery, if you notice him. Jake, God, God could have, in that moment, chosen to rebuke Jacob. He could have cut him off from the blessing, but he didn't. In, he makes him a promise, which is the exact opposite of what Jacob deserved. He said, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying, and they'll be like the dust of the earth. And God promises Jacob that he'll be with him wherever he goes. In this, we see how, how generous God is, how he gives us the opposite of what we truly deserve. But the third, and perhaps the most intriguing thing of this vision, is that stairway. Did you notice that stairway at the start? Um, he saw a stairway um, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What was all that about? Um, well, bear in mind the context, what had been going on. Jacob, what had he been doing? He'd been grasping, he'd been reaching, he'd been trying to snatch the blessing of God in his life. And I think God uses this vision to teach him a lesson about how this really works. He shows him this heavenly stairway. And I think, I don't know what it looks like in your head. In my mind, it looks something, something like this on the screen. Is it not gonna come up? That's in there, it's nice, isn't it? I was thinking, um, that's what the Broadmarsh needs, isn't it? That would get that place back, it would be back and going if we had one of those. That's an escalator that goes up. Anyway, Jacob shows him this stairway the means by which heaven and earth are connected. It's a vision of how the goodness of the kingdom of God breaks into our world. And I believe the point that God was making was you can't reach up for heaven. I'm bringing heaven down to you. It's not about what you can grasp. It's about what you can receive. So essentially, I think this, is, this vision was a vision of one, it was a reminder of, of, of who God was. He's sovereign, he's in control. A God who is generous and forgiving and gracious and who longs to bring blessing and salvation to us. It's not through the working and grasping and striving of our hands, but through the reliance and faith in God. That was the lesson I think that Jacob had got that night. But I guess the question is, was that just a, a lesson for Jacob or is this also a lesson for us? Does this apply to us? Is this relevant for us? Can we read the, that story that way? Should we read it that way? I mean, it feels a bit meaningful to me, but 
But actually, is it? Well, this, I think this bit's cool. Centuries later, a guy called Nathaniel meets a person called Jesus. And Nathaniel is sizing up this character, Jesus, and trying to decide if he should follow him, if he's worth following. And Jesus says to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Just for the record, Nathaniel would have had no doubt, he would have been very familiar with this story, he would have known exactly what, Jake, what Jesus was referring to. Jesus was pointing to that mysterious stairway in the vision and saying that it's real and you're looking at it. The Son of Man, Jesus, is the stairway. And what that, what that does is that it scoops all of us up and picks us up and plonks us down, all of us, in the middle of Jacob's vision. That moment shows us actually that vision does carry meaning for us because Jesus is that stairway. It's through Jesus that God sends blessing down to us. Jesus is the only way we could get to heaven and Jesus is the only way that heaven could come down to us. He brought the kingdom of God down to earth to us in his life and his death and his ministry. Like Jacob, we can't grasp his blessing. Like Jacob, we can't deserve salvation, but we can only receive those things through faith. So absolutely, Jacob's lesson, I think, is a lesson for us too. So, to finish then, so how do we apply this lesson to our lives? Well, I think there are two steps that I'd like you to consider, and they're simple. It's about letting go and receiving. Simple as that. First, I want to ask you, what is it that you need to let go of? You might be that you're here today and you, you don't actually believe in God, um, but as you reflect, you might be able to think of things in your life that have actually got a bit of hold of, hold of you, and your life might be better if you could just let go of them. We've all reached out to try and seize and grasp things in our lives, and we've all got stuck in the process. But I want to ask, what is it for you today that God might be asking you to let go of? I mentioned a few things in the talk, money, materialism, sex, um, image, um, identity stuff. It might be influence, it might be power, possessions, your reputation, your social standing. One of the things, one example that Jacob specifically grasped after was God's blessing, wasn't it? He thought that he could handle God, if you remember. He thought he could manipulate God. If I do this certain thing, I can make God bless me. And he grasped for it. And we saw how Jacob was silly to do that. But, but in truth, I think so are we, because, because we do this one. We have a word for it in the church. It's called legalism. You know, if I, if I do this certain thing, if I serve in a certain way, or if I pray in a certain way, or if I give in a certain way, then I can, I can behave in a certain way that will make God have to bless me. I can earn God's blessing. I can secure it through the work of my hands. But it's just another trap because the goal becomes the rules and the regulations, and we become trapped in that rather than being liberated to try and please God and receive his grace. See, the truth is, if you're holding on to one thing, you can't receive something else until you let go. It's only when we let go that we can move on to that second step and receive. 
And as you think about receiving, I think this is all about bearing in mind that stairway. The second thing that we need to do is trust that through Jesus, the stairway, he has made a way for heaven to come down and for us to receive blessings in life, free of charge, because of what he did for us on the cross. We can't earn those blessings, we can only receive them. It's only as we come to him empty-handed, in fact, that we can receive his grace. So how do these two things, letting go and receive, what does that look like in practice? Well, I'll share just one little example from my life. Um, you know, one of the best things about working here in a church like this um, is the people. You, you, you're working surrounded with this team of people who are amazing and inspiring people. But the only sort of downside to that is that if you're not careful, you can end up comparing yourself to all these gifts that other people have. You can easily wind up sort of comparing yourself almost to this sort of combination super pastor that's as good as everybody's strengths, you know, that's a sort of like, that's as maverick and, and has ideas like Tom and as fun as Suze and has, has the va-va-voom of Helen somebody who's as warm and friendly as Chris who works on the reception here, or who's as practical as Andy on the facility team, somebody who is um, as, as, as wise as Joe Gresty, um, and as holy as Dave Miller. Um, and, you know, don't even get started on John and Debbie. When I first started working here, I, I started to play that game. I had this image of this perfect pastor in my head, and I was trying to reach and grasp after that person, reaching for an identity that didn't actually exist in real life. And, and I'm, I'm thank, I have to say I'm thankful that God, he, he drummed that out of me pretty quick. He showed me, I think, that this is not gonna work if you try and do that. The, that person is not your identity. And what he did was he, he one by one, he prized my fingers off that thing that I was grasping for and helped me to let go. How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, it's not particularly glamorous, but he did it through this book. Through the drip, 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 drip feed of reading this book, he revealed to me that that wasn't my identity. In, in the book of Romans, he reminded me, no, the body is made up of many parts and you are one important part of many. And in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he reminded me that the gifts that we have, we're not responsible for them. He is. Through the truth in here, day in, day out, he helped me to let go of that. And he opened my hand. And it's only when I had an open hand, then, then it was as though he said, why don't you instead read, I've got a new identity for you. And again, I read some amazing things in here. I read about how Actually, my role is to be a servant of God. It's not about me, it's about him. Wow, that was a really liberating thing to read. I read in here that I'm a child of God, that I'm free and saved, that I'm wonderfully and fearfully made, that I'm a co-heir in Christ. The daily drip, 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 drip feed of his word and the dialogue that I had with him in prayer helped me to, to let go and then receive something else that was far better, that was far better. For Jacob, I think he started to learn that lesson of letting go and receiving 
that night, but it wasn't the end of his journey. It was a long and um, bumpy journey to really trust in that lesson for him, but he had to start somewhere. During this talk, there may have been areas that have come to your mind in your life that feel like a little bit of a trap for you. Issues of different things, identity, addiction, sins that you feel stuck in. And maybe it's going to be a bit of a process to truly break free from that. Because sometimes God can come along and he can fix these things in an instant, but often it's a journey. But either way, we have to start that journey somewhere. We have to pray that God would help us to do this, help us to let go, help us to receive. And for some of you, I believe that that journey might be starting right now. So let's just pray for a second. Think about something, if there's something that's come to your mind. And in your mind, just imagine, just imagine letting go and receiving. You might even wanna do that with your hand. I'll pray and then we'll stand. Lord, would you, would you come down? Would you descend on us? And would you help us to let go? Would you help us to receive the gift of faith and patience and trust? And would you place in us something better, a burning desire to see your kingdom come?